0: Welcome back to series three of Lace Up and Listen. I'm your host Amelia Uphill aka The Uphill Runner and as a mum to one-year-old Max and aspiring marathon runner I'll be sharing insights about how to juggle mum duties while still finding time for running. Each week I'll bring you a conversation with a different inspiring expert guest to help you maximize your training whether you're a new mum returning to running postnatally or building up to running marathons and more. There'll be a new episode available every week to keep you company throughout your training or to relax with on a rest day. To kick off the new series, I'm delighted to be joined by Molly Forbes to talk all about raising what Molly describes as Body Happy Kids. As well as being the author of the book of the same name, Body Happy Kids, Molly is a host of the Body Cons podcast and founder of the Body Happy organisation. She's also a mum to two young daughters. We're going to be chatting about her own experience with dieting, exercise and body image, along with how to raise our children with a healthy attitude to food, exercise and their bodies. Hello, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's just get started with the first question, shall we? I really wanted to start with asking, um, what was your own relationship with food and exercise when you were growing up?
1: Gosh, um, so I grew up in the 90s and I am the daughter of um, two teachers. So my parents were progressive, very in tune with kind of some of the pressures that teenagers face. They both worked in busy um, inner city secondary schools in Bristol, the city that I grew up in. But the thing is, even though I wasn't necessarily getting some of these negative messages at home, they were still coming for me. So whether it was extended family members talking about diets or hearing, um, you know, just comments at school. And so I've always I've always really enjoyed food. I love you know eating and food plays a central role to you know family holidays we'd go to France on holiday and I'd be so excited about eating the pastries or you know having nice barbecues or you know going to the French markets and you get these enormous nectarines that were like the size of my head and I loved fruit and all of that was it was a real kind of source of of joy and connection for me and my family. But I think as I grew, I started to pick up some negative messages around, you know, if you eat this, you'll become this size. And that's a bad thing. And I was a skinny kid. I, you know, I I wasn't subject to weight stigma myself, but I could see how some of my friends and the people around me were treated because of the size of their body. And I could hear, you know, extended family talking about their own bodies in negative ways. And I think that's, for me, where some of the issues around food started to creep in. So I never had a disordered relationship with food. Um, But as I, as I grew up and became, you know, went to university and then went into my early 20s, I was very much on and off, you know, the diet bandwagon, although I never called it a diet, I would always call it, you know, healthy eating or whatever. But it was always very much about restriction. And it would often bookmark, you know, big event in my life, whether it was going on holiday or getting ready for, you know, the Christmas party season or whatever. It was this idea that my body was something that I had to be vigilant over. And if I didn't take care, then it would, you know, get kind of out of control in some way. Um, So it was I had a pretty happy relationship with food and, and movement and things as a kid. It wasn't until I got older that the issues started to started to to kind of present themselves. But living in the society that we live in, it was so normal. It was just completely, you know, it was it was just expected. Um, And I think now that I'm not doing, you know, going on and off diets and I don't move my body in order to try and change the shape of it ironically I'm sort of the odd one out (laughs) among many of my friends and acquaintances um who are still very much in that mindset and um that's a shame
0: (laughs) yeah it's so difficult to kind of start to break that mindset isn't it Uh, um do you remember what a most extreme diet or the most extreme exercise regime is that you've ever kind of taken part in or joined the bandwagon
1: on I was thinking about this when I was writing my book because I don't think I really examined some of the stuff that I'd done until I until I really started to kind of unlearn this stuff. I don't really I don't think I realized how damaging and how unhealthy some of the habits I was getting into were. So, I mean this should come with a big trigger warning because anyone who's listening to this who has issues with food like I would I wouldn't want anyone to copy this kind of behavior because it was it was really quite dangerous but I used to work as a radio presenter I presented a breakfast radio show and it involved getting up at half past three in the morning driving an hour to work down the motorway presenting the show doing the planning for the show the next day and then driving back to collect my then baby from nursery and then being with her all afternoon, being a mum, you know, doing, doing all the mum stuff, you know, taking her out to the park, etc., etc. And then after she was in bed in the evening, I would then work through until about 11 o'clock at night as a writer. because um, so I was a journalist before I was a radio presenter and I was still, you know, writing and freelancing for various different people. So I was only getting a very small amount of sleep in any 24 hours. I was on the go for a really long time using loads of, you know, brain power, <laughs> driving, running around after my kids. And I did th- I did a diet that was really popular at the time. It was oh, the 5-2 diet, I think is what it was called. And it was like two days out of every five, I think you're only meant to have 500 calories or something like that. Everyone at the time was doing it. Loads of people at work were doing it. And it was just this weird thing where we would all bond over how miserable and exhausted and how terrible we felt. Um, on the days when we were fasting. And some weeks, I would do it for three days in the week, rather than two. And I would sometimes be so busy and so out of tune with my own hunger and fullness cues and my body, that I wouldn't even have the 500 calories that I was allowed, I would have even less than that. And I would do things like eating porridge for my breakfast. So we'd, I'd get in I would be up at half three, drive in, do part of the show. We would be on air till 10 o'clock in the morning. But at nine o'clock, it would start to kind of, then between nine and 10, we would play more songs. So there would be more chance like go and make yourself a cup of tea and, you know, have some breakfast and things because you weren't having to talk so much in between the songs. And I would often at that point, now I've been up since half past three in the morning. I should be really, really hungry by that point because I've already done like half a day's work. Um, and I would go and make myself a really small bowl of porridge, but I wouldn't even make it with milk, or even, even skimmed milk. I'd make it with water. Um, and I might sometimes allow myself to have like half a banana with it. And then that would keep me going through to like my meal time in the evening. And I just think back to that and I think, what was I doing? That's so dangerous. You know, I was, driving back on the motorway and feeling so tired and hungry that I might, you know, I felt sometimes like I was going to pass out. And I don't, you know, it's really kind of, when I look back at that behavior, but the problem is it was so normalized because everyone around me was doing it too. And because I wasn't, you know, I was thin, but I wasn't, I wasn't visibly underweight. So it wasn't you know no one was kind of saying oh you know is that all you're going to eat today you know no one was sort of everyone else was doing it too um and that that makes me feel I feel really sad for my former self that i forced myself to do that because i don't even know why i was doing it um and that's just one example there've been others as well but i think that's probably the most extreme that i can think of
0: yeah i remember something similar for myself actually i think i was actually still at school at the time but like you say it's just so normal that even when you're a teenager it just feels like the normal thing to do and it was the special k diet and i would honestly i would have a special k bar for breakfast the bar not even a bowl of cereal a cereal bar and then another one for lunch and then i would have like a little a small dinner or a small portion of dinner but other than like that was all i was eating while i was at school doing my gcse's or a levels i can't remember at the time um And you just look back and think, oh, my goodness, like, what difference did that
1: make? Yeah, when you're doing your GCSEs and your brain is needing all that fuel and that energy, but we're not, you know, we're, we're, yeah, you're not giving it what it needs. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, now I'm out of it with the benefit of hindsight. I can look back at that kind of behavior and see how disordered it was. And I'm really relieved and grateful that I've moved on from, from doing that and it wasn't like i was doing that all the time and i would tell myself well it's only for a month or it's only for a few weeks you know and then it's like back to normal yeah completely um and that was that was unfortunately how everyone else around me you know it was it was just so normalized it was it was written about everywhere (laughs) everyone else in the office was doing it you know it was it was the thing of the moment and there's always a thing of the moment isn't there I guess the one now is um keto and clean eating and all of that this is all came later but there's always something there's always one there's always something that you know everyone's doing and it just normalizes it absolutely so what
0: was it that caused you to kind of start to make that shift away from uh away from dieting and towards more intuitive movement, intuitive eating kind of style and listening to your body?
1: Well, I, I mean, I was a mum back then when I was doing that, you know, the 5'2 stuff. Um, my, my eldest daughter was a baby. Um, and then we went through quite a big change. So we moved to a completely new area. We, we moved from just outside of London down to Devon and um, bought a house and I had a second baby. And looking back, I think that change, that move to a new place, um, becoming a mum again for the second time, not doing this real kind of buzzy radio job, but just mainly writing. You know, I didn't have any friends when we first moved to Devon, because it was a totally new area, we didn't know anyone. And I think that my, that whole kind of identity shift had a profound impact on my self-esteem at the time. Um, And also coupled that with the you know what happens when you become a parent is often you you do go through these huge changes of identity because you know these massive things happen to you and society sees you in a different way etc cetera, etc, cetera. and that kind of happened to me first time around. It happened again second time, and I remember thinking we we had this family holiday booked in the summer and I just felt disconnected from my body and I think looking back, actually what I really needed was just some space and some time just having a bit of space and time on my own with no child attached to me or baby attached to me I was breastfeeding I very much felt like my body existed to serve other people you know I'd literally grown a baby and I was keeping a baby alive with my body and she was you know she didn't sleep very much I was very very tired and I didn't have any space of my own in the day to just go for a walk or just have no one asking anything of me and so and and all of the other stuff as well really impacted my my self esteem and i think the way what what so often happens and this is so normal and you know people listening to this might might relate to this as well but so often what happens is when we suffer a dip in our self esteem or some big life change or something happens to make us feel somehow less than Our go-to response is to take that out on our body and think that actually, you know, if we can just get the body, you know, this kind of reach, this kind of beauty standard, then everything will be fixed. You know, we'll suddenly be really happy and really successful and be really confident and all of that stuff. It's what diet culture sells to us, this idea. And I bought into that hook, line and sinker again And I was doing, you know, workouts every day, very much to try and with the purpose of trying to change the shape of my body. So basically like this idea that if I could get my pre-baby body back, I'd somehow get my pre-baby life back in some kind of strange way. And um, I was at that time, it was like the clean eating stuff. So I was doing things like, um, you know, weighing my food and not eating any processed food and
0: cornetti pasta kind of things yeah exactly like
1: barely any carbohydrates um and my eldest daughter who would have been about five at the time I guess she saw me weighing spinach and she asked me why I was weighing spinach and I was making dinner like a family dinner and I think I'd made them I didn't macaroni cheese or something and I'd made myself a salad, you know, just a few leaves of spinach and maybe some grilled chicken or something. And um, in that moment when she asked me why I was wearing spinach, I think that was kind of a wake up call for me because I realised that I didn't know rationally how to respond to her question because the reality was I was wearing spinach because I wanted to make my body smaller because I wanted to go on holiday and wear a bikini. And I felt like I couldn't wear a bikini in the body that I had. But I knew like deep down in my core like that I certainly didn't want to pass that idea on to my to my kids that they can you know they could only wear a bikini on the beach if their body you know is is small or they, they look a certain way. Um, and that for me was kind of a moment of realization along with the fact I just I realized that it wasn't sustainable. you know I couldn't we're often told this idea that oh it's not it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle but actually, if the lifestyle that we're being encouraged to to you know embrace is is completely unsustainable and means regularly foregoing connection with friends not going out for dinner with friends you know scrutinizing a menu before you go out and to check that there's stuff on there that you can eat you know not not enjoying a pizza on a Friday night with with my husband because I couldn't eat that you know, or really like measuring if I'm allowing myself a glass of wine, like measuring to the to the milliliter how much wine is in there so that it, it you know passes whatever the calorie content is or whatever that I'm allowing myself that day. That, that isn't a lifestyle that is a, that's hyper around food and disordered eating. It's not an intuitive connection with your body um, and it's not sustainable. And that's why so many people go on and off diets and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight and lose weight. And that is independently bad for our health. <laughs> um, and luckily, that moment when my daughter asked me that question led me to sort of start unraveling some of this stuff.
0: Yeah. So since you had that moment, that kind of realisation, what was your journey like from then on with, in your relationship to food? I'm assuming it wasn't smooth sailing and you just kind of woke up and waved a magic wand and suddenly everything was better how did you find that shift and moving towards where you are
1: now i found it was it was actually it wasn't for me my own personal experiences. it wasn't that difficult because i think that i found i felt relief i felt relief and i felt liberated and i think it helped that you know, we were just about to go on holiday. So we went on holiday and often holidays are a time when you really relax and you will, people will allow themselves to eat what they want to eat on holiday. Um It's almost like this idea that you've earned the right to eat how you want to eat because you've restricted before. So we were on holiday and we were in France, which is obviously a real kind of foodie place. And we were eating like lovely, you know, local produce and things. And I felt really happy because I wasn't a, what I just decided, I just decided I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm not, you know, the irony was, I think when I, I guess when I first sort of, you know, I I guess I probably, when I first started eating, just allowing myself to eat what I wanted to eat, there was um, maybe like a subconscious fear that, you know, my body that had changed because I'd been, you know, working out and it it was a smaller body and and I, you know, lost a bit of weight, that I would gain all that weight and it would all be for nothing. But the, what I found was that actually, I didn't, because I'd allowed myself to have the stuff that I wanted to have, it didn't, that food just no longer held that same level of power for me than it did before. And I just told myself, well, I'm not going back onto the diet. So it's not like I have to eat it all now because next week I'm going to be back on a diet and I'm going to be quote unquote good again you know um which is what I had done for so many years before you know you relax at the weekend eat what I want to eat at the weekend and then actually often overeat because I knew that on when Monday rolled around I'd be back on the restriction bandwagon again um And yeah, I think that the deeper thing for me wasn't so much about my relationship with food because although I'd done these sort of fad um, diets, which I never called diets, called them lifestyle changes, um, I hadn't, luckily it hadn't developed into a deeper, more kind of um, serious disordered eating, kind of eating disorder behavior. So it was easier for me to find my way back the deeper thing for me was more just my relationship with my body and letting go of the idea that if I didn't um, do movement that day, whether it was going for a run or whatever, you know, getting rid of that idea that actually I should feel guilty about that. And that is still something that I carry now, actually, because diet culture is so deeply embedded. And these like capitalist ideas that we have to be on the go all, all the time and we're not allowed to rest I do still struggle now sometimes with tuning into what my body needs and recognizing like at the moment I'm really tired because I'm coming to the end of a phase of really intense work and so I haven't been doing my daily swims you know I've been going swimming maybe two or three times a week instead of every day which is always something that I really enjoy it's like a part of my day that I really like But I've had to really remind myself that actually um, it's okay that I haven't been swimming every day because maybe I'm just listening to what my body needs and I need that extra sleep in the morning rather than getting up early and going for a swim. Um, But this stuff is a constant learning process, isn't it? I think there's this idea that you you start an intuitive eating or an intuitive movement journey. You start this kind of relationship of healing,
0: you know, healing
1: your relationship with your body and then it's a linear path and you get to the end and there's like some kind of certificate at the end of it and a gold star and a medal. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, it's not a linear journey. It's, it's a constant life process that we're always having to navigate. Luckily now, I feel like I've got the tools to be able to navigate it in a much more healthy and positive way so that it doesn't cause me pain. But um, those those messages and those those thought processes are so deeply ingrained in and embedded in in my brain like everyone else that they don't just disappear overnight it doesn't just go away forever um, and that's something that I have to kind of remember in my mind myself
0: <laughs> you've talked a bit about swimming there and uh, um, exercise as well as eating do you have a favorite kind of experience that you've had since you've sort of move towards being well in, in your words body happy um that's been a really enjoyable form of exercise or something that you're doing just because it makes you happy rather than doing it because you think I've got to tone up or you've got
1: to lose weight yeah I think you know, I think my relationship the way that my relationship with exercise changed is actually more of an interesting story than the the thing with the food because I had always as a kid I was quite um not not sporty but I really I was a dancer so I did ballet from like the age of two up to 16 17 and I loved dance and I did contemporary dance and yeah it was just such a like form of joy for me even when I wasn't you know dance class I was dancing around at home and doing shows forcing my parents to watch (laughs) on a Saturday afternoon um in the living room and um I loved dancing and I loved um you know I really enjoyed kind of at school um I liked things like I was quite into long long distance running I quite like cross-country running I liked athletics um uh you know and 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 I enjoyed movement it was just like a fun thing to do and again like with the food thing it wasn't until I got to university or became like a a group a bit of an older teenager kind of sort of eight around sort of 16 through to sort of 20, I guess, that that relationship started to change and I started to pick up ideas that actually movement and and sport and exercise was something that you should do to keep in shape or to look a certain way. And my intense dalliances with exercise often um, coincided with when I was in some phase of restriction you know, this health kick that I talked about before. Um, and so it wasn't really enjoyable, because I was doing it very much to change the shape of my body rather than actually enjoying how it felt. And it was really kind of, you know, forcing myself through a workout or going to the gym when I didn't really want to go. And I saw it as a punishment, but something that I had to do rather than something that I looked forward to doing. I felt guilty if I didn't do it. Um, and when I decided to sort of stop the dieting stuff and I started to learn about intuitive eating and tune into some of the work around embodiment and joyful movement, um, actually before I'd even started, um, educating myself on those subjects, just intuitively, inherently, I started finding a new relationship with exercise and it I can't remember the exact reason for this. I can't remember the exact, like there was like one day that I just decided I was going to go out for a walk or run or whatever. But I I think I just, I've always had an appetite for trying new things. And after having, you know, six months or so of just doing one type of exercise because I knew it would, you know, get give me the body results, quote unquote, that I wanted, um, I was quite excited to get back into trying different forms of movement, that I just see what I liked really. Um, I'd always hated running with a passion because it had always been something that I'd forced myself to do as like a free form of exercise um, right from when I was at university. Um, and I started going for runs, just like not even a run. Like I wouldn't time myself, I'd just like gen- a gentle jog um, or a you know slow plod down the road, down along the country lanes. And I actually got into, I really enjoyed it. I found that I I would look forward to it and I'd put a podcast on and it became my little moment of the day when I could, you know, be on my own and not, not wear a mum hat and not be at work and no one could ask anything of me. And I found that actually I, when I was running for the sake of running, I actually did really enjoy it when I wasn't trying to, you know, time myself or, you know, hit a certain amount of steps or burns however many calories when I did it for the sake of doing it I actually really enjoyed it and so I started to do it more um I've always quite liked yoga but again I, I never saw the movement side of, of yoga as, as like valid movement I just thought it was you know like a relaxation thing um and then I started to realize actually it was valid movement um and I started doing yoga again which I hadn't done since I'd been pregnant with my second baby. Um, And I can't run anymore because I had a back injury a couple of years ago um, in 2019. And after that, I started swimming. And as a kid, I always loved swimming. And I've really got into swimming in the last 18 months or so, a couple of years, ever since I hurt my back. Um, And now, now that's what I do. So I go swimming most days um every week at least a few times a week um and it's like my little moment in the day when I can just switch off I love starting the day with a swim um I sneak out of the house before everyone else is awake go to the swimming pools the same people in the swimming pool every morning we all know each other and everyone has a chat and we get in the pool and and you know when when I live in Devon so I live near I live near the sea and when I'm not um hardy enough to do proper cold water swimming like some of my friends although i think that maybe this is the year that i'll i'll get into it because i've heard so many people rave about cold water swimming and its benefits
0: i've seen so many people do it since uh, since the pandemic and swimming pools were closed so many people had a go
1: yeah and i i do love swimming in the sea there is something so freeing and joyful about swimming in the sea um and I haven't really got any excuse because it's right on our doorstep so I I love it in the summer in the in in the colder months I always wear a wetsuit but I do want to get into cold water swimming maybe that will be the new thing I try
0: (laughs) okay yeah I look forward to hearing about you having a go at that yeah that sounds great and you've mentioned as well about there that it's the time when you don't have to wear your mum hat um But why do you think it is important to have this kind of body happy attitude or to demonstrate or to try and demonstrate those attitudes and behaviours in front of our children when when we are parents?
1: So for me, being a mum and being a parent was the driving force for me wanting to relearn a new relationship with my body uh, because I wanted to break that cycle and I didn't want to pass any of my own attitudes and thoughts and beliefs about these you know and harmful habits things that had caused me pain i didn't want to pass those things on to my kids as so many of us as parents are you're often aware of the things that we've struggled with and we become hyper vigilant about not wanting to perpetuate those problems with our kids um so that was kind of the driving force and it was a happy coincidence really that actually it benefited me personally on on like an individual level so so much um but the, the thing is i think children i mean i don't think i know this through the evidence shows that children learn through role modeling and so they will look to the adults in their life who they really look up to and they'll pick things up and even if you're not actively necessarily talking about diets or saying harmful things about other people's bodies or your own body children can kind of pick up on they can they're intuitive they can pick up on the things as well that aren't said you know from the conversations that you back away from or the 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 way that maybe you might like pull at your body when you're standing in the mirror like ch- kids pick up on this stuff
0: it's quite scary how young they can actually start to realize uh, yeah those things that you're doing as well and pick up on them
1: and they're getting and it's getting younger and younger and kids have these messages from so many different places um i'm i'm always asked like so that we know that children as young as three years old can feel bad about their bodies wow and that's the research shows that um and we know that you know there was a study that found 34 percent of five-year-old girls are talking about wanting to go on a diet it's, it's really worrying. And there's also some really concerning stats coming out about eating disorders in children. So in, in December last year, NHS Digital Data for England released um, some results that found that eating disorders among preteens had risen by a fifth. That's on top of in the last decade, the number of preteens being admitted, being diagnosed with anorexia has doubled. So we know that the number of children who are suffering with eating disorders is on the rise. Um, Eating disorders are obviously very complex um, conditions, and I'm not suggesting that it's all because of, you know, um, it's all like cultural or societal issues as a biological component as well. But these messages don't help at all. They create a culture that allows eating disorders and disordered eating and body dissatisfaction to thrive we're actively encouraged by the government to feel bad about our body and to view exercise in a certain way and to you know think about food in terms of calories um because of these kind of public health initiatives which are really problematic and I think the thing is for me as a mum like I just became once I started realizing unpicking some of my own stuff around my own body and my own attitudes and thoughts and beliefs about health and bodies. I started to realize how many messages were trying to drag me back. And then in turn, how many messages were trying to come for my kids, you know? And I started to even just watching Peppa Pig, how daddy pig's body is always the punchline of the joke. And, you know watching you know my favorite like disney films noticing the complete lack of positive representation of characters in bigger bodies and i just
0: you just become much more aware yeah yeah I became
1: it. so much more aware of it and and realizing how these messages and these ideas they don't just come from one place they don't just come from i don't know auntie susan who's on on a diet or, you know, a teacher being given a box of chocolates at the end of term and saying, oh, I can't possibly eat that because I'm on a diet. They come from those places, but they also come from the TV shows and, you know, the YouTube channels that little kids are watching. And then obviously older kids, social media, um, the mainstream media, lack of representation, the way that we frame sports and fitness and all of this stuff really does create this kind of I think of it as like, I think in my book, I described it as being like, we're all gold goldfish swimming in this goldfish bowl of diet culture. And we don't realise it's all around us because it is just so normalised. It's just the air that we breathe. It's the water that we swim in. And it's not until you start noticing it that you realise how pervasive and, and insidious that it is.
0: So is there anything that we can do to help our children to establish and maintain a more body happy attitude to sort of minimize the effects of the what social media or the media is having perhaps on them from a parent point of view
1: there are lots of things that we can do um there's uh, in my book there's like a toolkit at the end of each chapter and with the body happy organization we obviously create resources and training and tools so there's like that, that that's a whole other conversation but at the very most basic level I'd say um you don't have to feel like you have to learn all the stuff and suddenly feel amazing about your body before you can help your kids be body happy um, or have positive body image it's it's just about noticing those moments when you might be about to voice something negative about your body or the body of someone else or even just commenting on people's appearance even in in a way that you might think is positive like complimenting a friend or family member for their weight loss like just think twice before you do that particularly if it's in the earshot of your children because research shows that so it doesn't have to be that you have to be walking around all day like Beyonce you know thinking that you're amazing and, and constantly like saying how amazing you are just removing some of those negative messages can have a real profound impact on the body image of children so just not talking about about it and just kind of not voicing some of those concerns can be a really good place to start um media literacy is something that I bang on about all the time because I think for a lot of adults could really benefit from kind of honing their media literacy skills but for kids what it what it does is it just encourages them to be critical thinkers and ask questions about what they're seeing and reading and hearing and starting to think for themselves about this stuff because unfortunately we can't get rid of all of these messages we can't wrap our kids in cotton wool and stop them from from ever hearing messages that make them think that one type of body is better than another or that they have to change their body in order to be a successful and worthwhile person um but what we can do is give them the tools to start questioning and challenging some of these just inherent ingrained beliefs so um it might be with a little kid with like a, a toddler just encouraging them to start thinking about you know when they're watching a cartoon um you know what how might how 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 is this real and how is how is this different from real life you know do we have you know um if there's like a talking dragon for example do you know any talking dragons in real life <laughs> just to try and get them to start to kind of like think critically and recognize that recognize that things are made by people you know the media that they're consuming the things the messages the books they're reading someone has made that and what's the purpose of them making that what message are they trying to give you that's not always you know a negative message but just getting them to think about that and just be aware of it and not just passively consume it um and thinking with with kids about you know how might another person in that situation feel so the little kids get this my, my youngest is six and I've been talking in this way with her since she was really little and just saying things like, um, I mean, like we were watching, we watched The Little Mermaid in lockdown because we got Disney Plus, and I, I hadn't seen that film in years. And I was like, oh my gosh, like Ursula, the depiction of Ursula, like how have I never realised this before? Um, and I was talking to my my daughter who was five at the time about it as we were watching it. I was like, Oh, why do you think they've made Ursula the octopus being a fat body. She was like, "Oh, because you know they're trying to show that she's greedy and she wants to take over the world." And you know she was able at that age to recognize that just through having these conversations. And that's a really that's a really great tool to give kids because um, if they can start to think for themselves about some of this stuff, that gives them a really good way to kind of buffer some of these messages before they actually hit and are embedded deep in their you know in their psyche
0: gives them a sense of power in a way i guess
1: yeah exactly and that's not to say that we shouldn't push back at these messages and that's why like a huge part of my work is about campaigning as well and challenging some of these messages because it shouldn't be this hard to constantly have to push back at the messages but they are always going to come and this isn't just a good tool when it comes to body image this is a just a good tool for kids to have in life you know just with everything to be able to think critically about things and challenge things and see things from other people's perspectives um and that's often um, unfortunately social media often doesn't encourage us to do that because it kind of creates this sort of vacuum vacuum spaces where everyone agrees with each other and it's kind of an echo chamber um and you can End up just consuming content that is really similar to what you're already in tune with because the algorithms pick up on that, and, and the same is with kids. And so, actually, if we can, if we can start to recognise, um, you know, just have the tools to ask questions about these things, that's just a really, that's just a really great empowering um, skill for children to learn, and they can learn it from a really, really young age
0: yeah like you said it's so shocking the how young that it really that they start to pick up on these things isn't it um are there any particular phrases or can you give an example of a particular phrase or behavior that you would recommend avoiding using in front of your children how you would how you would shift it how you would swap it out and what you would say or do instead as an example
1: yeah i think we haven't really we haven't even got into this but this is another again a whole other conversation i know we could talk for hours i'm sure The way that we talk about health, I think is one of the biggest obstacles to raising children who are friends with their bodies. And that unfortunately the health conversation and the way that we are framing health currently, conflating weight with health and oversimplifying what health is and and over emphasizing the individual responsibility and power that we all have over our individual health. that is leading to essentially what diet culture has done is it's taken the beauty standard you know and promoting one type of body over another and and this idealized body type and it's wrapped it up in ideas of health and so now even like you know progressive open-minded people will still say well you know, and I get this a lot. Well, it's all very well teaching kids to be friends with their bodies and be accepting of other people. But what about health? You know, surely there's a point when we need to, we need to step in and worry about health. And I think that's, that is something that's a really, really useful question to reflect on for people who, who are asking that, because actually, health is a really complex, multi-layered subject there are over 100 different factors that influence our weight. Many of these things are totally beyond our control. Um, A huge amount of our weight and our body shape is already pre-influenced by our genetics. Um, But also, there are so many other factors, including socioeconomic factors that, that, you know, influence our, our weight. And we need to get away from conflating weight with health, we need to start separating them and looking at as, as individuals, we all have a little bit of, of, of uh, choice, I guess, um, with the kind of the behaviours that we can engage in. So if you're talking to your kids about health, rather than kind of, you know, saying, I'm not going to eat this, because that's unhealthy, I'm going to do this, because that's healthy, kind of focusing on on the bigger picture. So taking a holistic view of health, Because if you're only talking about food and movement when you're talking about health, but you're not talking about sleep and you're not talking about social connections and you're not talking about um, the huge privilege that is involved with being able to eat certain food and move your body in a certain way um, and get enough sleep, um, then you're not really giving your kids an overall picture of health. You're just giving them a very narrow view of health that totally plays into the hands of of diet culture and that is essentially what we're seeing is that kids are wanting to engage with like disordered eating behavior because they want to be quote unquote healthy but actually that's the irony is is that their pursuit of this perfect body is leading them down a very unhealthy path to engage with real risk-taking behaviors you know negative body image is is unhealthy you know if we want if we care about our kids health and we want them to you know look after their body and treat their bodies with kindness we need to give them a chance to actually appreciate and like their body as it is right now um so I'd say that you know the biggest thing the biggest obstacle is how we discuss health so taking a really holistic view of health recognizing that health is more is more than just nutrition and exercise recognizing that there are many factors that influence our health, which are beyond our control recognizing that you can't tell how healthy someone is just by looking at their body, recognizing that mental health is health as well because physical and mental health can't be separated. Um, And just um, getting away from, you know, putting certain giving certain food moral value because you think that food is healthy Um, because kids, think in binary terms they think in black and white terms they don't have the cognitive resources to unpick what you mean when you say you're being good today they're just going to see you eating kale and think well you know people who eat kale are good and people who eat chocolate are bad you know and the irony is, is research shows that when we do that we either create a real fear of some of these kind of foods with some children and they can develop a real fear of these foods and that can take them down this kind of disordered eating path And then for other kids, we can actually create, you know, the very foods that you might not want them to eat as much of, just carry more power because, you know, like anyone who's ever been on a diet will know. Exactly. If you're not, if you're, you know, anyone, like I I was just saying before when I was talking about, you know, my restricting behavior and how I used to relax at the weekend and I would often eat more of a, you know, the chocolate or the crisp because I would think, well, on Monday, I'm not going to be allowed it again. So it's the same as you know the research shows that kids behave in that way as well so if they're never allowed chocolate or sweets they don't know how to handle themselves when they are around them um and it just carries kind of more power and they want them even more so it's it's very difficult because it it feels counterintuitive and it's often against everything that we've been taught and everything that we hear in the mainstream media or even in some schools and that's what i'm you know with with me and my colleagues it's what we're, we're working hard to kind of create more awareness and training in these areas but um and that's what my book is hopefully like pushing back at some of that and and diving into the nuance of this subject um but i think as a parent that is probably one of the most powerful things that you can do for your kids body image, is re-examine your own ideas about health
0: wow thank you The final thing I'd really like to ask is, because quite a lot of listeners are um, newish mums or mums thinking about getting back into exercise for the first time since having their their baby or having their children, what advice would you give to someone like that who's kind of perhaps uncomfortable with their new body, their changed body, their postpartum body maybe? And how can they use it to be or change their mindset to become more positive and uh, to become a body happy example for their children as they grow
1: I think that the biggest thing is is really trying to boost that body appreciation that sense of what what your body is doing for you every day and what it's done for you and that's um that doesn't mean that you have to be running marathons or you have to um have you know achieve some kind of you know like triathlon or something to be able to appreciate what your body's done for you and I appreciate if you've had like a difficult birth experience or you feel that your body's let you down in some way that can be a difficult thing body appreciation is often sold as this kind of easy thing just appreciate what your body can do but actually for some of us that's a difficult process if we feel that our bodies let us down but I think recognizing that you know, those feelings that you're having when you're feeling like your body isn't good enough as it is right now, this second, Who who's profiting from those feelings? Because I can probably guarantee it isn't you. You're not, it's not making you want to care for your body with kindness. It's not making you want to embrace your body and live in the experience of your body. To body appreciation and appreciating how your body, you know, what your body's doing for you can simply mean um just appreciating that experience of living in your body and 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 how it allows you to experience life experience your new baby hold you know cuddle your baby um what whatever it is that you're you know just moving from from a to b um and i think then you kind of need to do that piece first before you then start to think about how you want to care for your body so for me it was really really beneficial to reframe movement and exercise as something that I was choosing to do because I enjoyed doing it rather than something that I had to do because I should do it Um, and that for me became a way for me to see you know, actually find out what I did actually enjoy doing, because I realized that some things I told myself in the past I enjoyed doing, I didn't really enjoy it in the moment, I enjoyed the feeling afterwards, or enjoyed the feeling of, um, you know, almost like patting myself on the back after I'd done a workout, but when I was actually doing it, didn't really enjoy doing it, so just giving myself permission, and knowing that all all forms of movement are valid, and actually, what is it that you really like doing? What is it that you really enjoy doing? It might be, you know, going out for a walk in the fresh air on your own without your baby. If, if someone else can look after your baby, maybe that's something nice, putting a podcast on. Thinking of it as some self-care and some time for yourself. Um, because self-care isn't just about bubble baths and face masks. It can also be about, I don't know, get going for a swim if, if that's what you like or or maybe doing, you know, some some gentle um, yoga moves or, you know, whatever it is, just knowing that all movement is valid and actually it's a chance for you to care for your body and treat your body with kindness and connect with your body. Um, and you're doing it not with the expectation that this is going to change the shape of your body. You might find that as your relationship with movement um heals and that you are moving your body and really enjoying it you might find that your body might change slightly but also remember that our bodies do change anyway you know naturally postpartum your body is going through so many changes already um so often um we put it down to you know whatever the exercise or food regime is but actually our our bodies do can will do naturally fluctuate um i think that really it's about kind of just trying to like really hone into that experience of living in your body and thinking what do i need what what do i need right now to feel good and and then knowing that you're you're worthy of what that thing is and actually sometimes it might just be rest it might just be a bloody lovely nap because <laughs> i think that's what i often needed <laughs>
0: No, I completely agree. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for giving us a little insight into your own journey, uh, your own relationship with food and exercise, and how we can um, start to get involved in the body ha- raising body happy kids and joining the movement. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to mention if people are are interested in more in learning more about raising body happy kids, what what they can do to find out more. Yeah. From what you've done your
1: research well thank you first of all thank you so much for having me it's been a really lovely chat um any if anyone wants to i mean i this is such a massive subject and it's quite often quite an overwhelming subject um especially if you've got you know your own kind of deeply embedded ideas and beliefs about this stuff it's difficult to know where to begin so um the book body happy kids my book um you can get that you know wherever you um buy your books um if you're it's it's big it's published in various in in other countries it's not just available in in the uk but if you're in a country that it isn't being published in you can get you should be able to get it on the book depository or you can buy it from us the body happy organization and we can ship it out to you we are bodyhappyorg.com on the internet and that's also where you can find our online masterclass which is a it's a it's a it's an online class basically broken down into bite-sized segments. So you can kind of do it at your own pace, videos and downloadable documents. Um, And that is, um, that you can get that at bodyhappyorg.com as well. And it comes also with access to a, a private Facebook group where we have expert speakers and we do book clubs. And I think the thing is with this subject is it's really important to find a community because it can often feel like you're swimming against the tide or you're, you're going against the grain. And so having a community of other people who are also doing the learning and on this journey as well, is really important because you need those sources of support, particularly in the early days. So that's why with the masterclass, it comes as well as all of the resources that you get in the session, it comes with this group as well. Um, but then if you if you're someone who works with children, maybe you're a, a youth leader or a teacher or a foster carer or a social worker then we do cpd workshops as well and they've been attended by lots of different people from women's aid workers to teachers and sports coaches Um, and again if you go to bodyhappyorg.com you can find out about those there as well
0: okay brilliant thank you so much
1: thank you for having me thank you
0: Whether you're a new mum thinking about starting your postpartum exercise journey, or you're working your way through couch to 5k, if you've got a new post-baby PB, or you're listening along on a gentle jog, share your experiences using the hashtag laceupandlisten to be in with a chance of featuring on next week's episode as our Lace Up and Listener of the Week. Maybe you've been inspired by Molly to have a go at running purely for the sake of running. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share and leave a review. If you have suggestions for potential topics or future guests, then I'd love to hear from you too. You can contact me or tag me on Instagram at the uphill Runner, or use the hashtag LaceUpAndListen. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of Series 3. Thank you so much for listening. There'll be another episode available next week at the same time. If you can't wait that long, don't forget, you can still download and listen to all the previous episodes from Series 1 and 2. Looking forward to running with you next time.